name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We, uh, we just got back from a, a pretty large ship. But the night before we left, overnight, in the middle of the night, this huge tanker ship, chip, chip, <laughs> had, uh, had come in and parked right next to us. It dwarfed the Logos Hope. It was so huge. And uh, I'm sure next to a, a battleship cruiser or an aircraft carrier, maybe that tanker would have, uh, I mean that uh, cargo carrier would have seemed small. There, there is a story of a battleship on, on rough seas in the pitch of night. And, uh, and it is, uh, can't see anything, but the captain sees the light, a light up ahead, spots a ship on collision course with his own vessel, and he sends out this warning through the lights. He says, change your course 10 degrees east. The light signals back and says, you change your course 10 degrees west. The captain's a little bit PO'd by that. He says, I'm a captain of a United States Navy, in the United States Navy. Change your course, sir. Uh, I'm a seaman second class, came the reply. You change your course, sir. Now the captain's really furious. And uh, he said, I'm a battleship. I'm not changing my course. And the reply came, I'm a lighthouse. It's your call. <laughs> you know, one cannot minimize the, uh, the importance of light, especially uh, on, a, on, a dark, on a dark night. I have all these notes talking to you about what light is. You know, light's electromagnetic uh, radiation. There's just so, hey, I learned something. Can I tell you this off a child's website? And I don't know it very well, but there's electromagnetic radiation has a a, a scale. And on one end of it, we have radio waves. and the other one, we have gamma rays. And in the middle, we have light rays. And they're, they're magnetic waves and electric waves perpendicular to one another. And depending on how, how the frequency, how, how wide these things are, we see color, you know, that sort of thing, because they bounce off objects, these, these light waves bounce off objects, and so we see color be, be, because uh, of them. But Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And I don't think he's talking about electromagnetic waves and all that kind of stuff. He has a, he has a, different, a different thought in mind. So I'd like to look at John chapter 8. I'm, I'm cutting my notes. It might seem a little disjointed here at first. I'm just cutting some of this stuff at the beginning. Um, I want us to talk about Jesus and what he means when he says he's the light of the world. You have your Bibles um, he calls himself, he call, let, me, let me read you some other verses first. He calls himself, God, God calls himself light. John says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. James says, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Apostle Paul says, He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. 
So the Bible calls God light. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, and by the way, if you happen to be our guest this morning, we are studying through the Gospel of John, and this is where we are today. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 12. In John chapter, in verse 12, Jesus speaks to them again, and it says, and he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Last time we were in the Gospel of John, which was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, three Sundays ago, you'll remember that we looked at a story where Jesus saves the life of a woman caught in adultery. I told you that most likely that story did not fit right there in, the, in John's gospel. Though the church has affirmed it as an authentic story, it most likely didn't fit there. And so it didn't go there to start with. And so really the continuation, 8-12, is really the continuation of the end of chapter 7 at the Festival of Tabernacles. Do you remember this? The fe- Festival of Tabernacles was when they went on the big Jewish camping trip for one, uh, one week, remembering their pilgrimage in the wilderness. Well, part of the festival of tabernacles was the lighting of the great candelabra. There in the temple, there was a huge candelabra that they would fill with oil. It was 75 feet tall. And every night after it got dark, men would, would skinny up the side of this candelabra and they would light the oil in this candelabra so that it lit up the whole temple court. I think most of us, we just can't imagine what it is to not have light at night. You know, we, uh, everywhere we go in the Western world, we have street lights. We, you know, there's, it's just everything's lit up in the city. Well, it, this, this was something phenomenal when they lit this candelabra, and it lit the whole temple court at night. It was obviously very, uh, something of great impression, probably like lighting the Olympic torch, if you would, but that's the only light that you see. And so they would light this thing uh, on the nights. And and most Bible scholars think that this is probably the last night of the the festival of, of booze. And they've lit the candelabra. And when they light it, most people think Jesus is saying what he's going to say here, what I just read you. He's saying it in conjunction with the lighting of that giant candelabra that's lighting up the temple court. So maybe it's at the end of it, when it's going out, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Maybe, maybe it's then. I, I tend to think it's probably at the lighting of the light that he says, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus doesn't mean he's a big electric magnetic wave, right? So what does he mean when he says that he is the light of the world? Well, I I think what he's trying to do, and again, I can't prove this for sure, but I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say the characteristics of light, you know, the characteristics we find in light, those are the characteristics that I have, metaphorically speaking, to the world. The things I'm going to share with you now, uh, the things I think that he meant when he said he was the light of the world, I know all of these things are true. Now, whether he meant them this way that night, I'm not sure about that. But he did mean, these things are all true when Jesus said he is the light of the world. So let me share with you what I think he means. First, I think in a not so subtle way, Jesus means he is the revelation of God. When he stood there in the court and he cried out, I am the light of the world. He who, uh, who walks in me will not walk in darkness. I think he's saying, I am the revelation of who God is. And, and I think everyone would have picked up on this because of what they would have known the Old Testament said. For instance, Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
Psalm 36, 9, For with thee is the foundation of life, in thy light is my light. In, my, in thy life is my light. Psalm 43.3, O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Psalm 89, verse 15, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. Psalm 104, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a curtain. I think those that are present would have understood clearly that Jesus is, when he says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am God revealing himself to everyone. I am the revelation of who, of who God is. Here's another thing I think he meant. I think he meant that he is the one who reveals not just who God is, but he reveals all truth to us. That Jesus is the light that reveals everything that we need to know. Light enables us to see what's covered up by darkness. Darkness conceals. When the sun goes down at night and you're out in the country and the moon's not out reflecting any light, you can't see anything. And, and Jesus is this light that helps us see everything that is. C.S. Lewis said it like this, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, now listen to this, C.S. Lewis says, but because by it all things are seen. So he believes in the sun not because he sees it, but he says, he says I believe in the sun because by the sun I see all things. And in the same way, he believes in Jesus because by Jesus he sees all things. John 3.21 says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Ephesians 4.13, But everything exposed by the light becomes, becomes visible. Jesus is this light that not only reveals who God is, but he reveals everything about the world, about who we are, about what we can expect in the future, about how to, how to live for God, what our life should be like, how we should live. Jesus reveals all of that to us. The story is told of a granddaddy who was carrying his grandson for a walk, and along the way, he finally asked his grandson, he said, do you know where we are? And the boy said, no, no, grandpa. He said, do you know where we're going? And the boy said, no, Grandpa, I don't. And the man chuckled. He said, well, I guess you're lost then. And the boy said, no, Grandpa, I'm not lost. I'm with you. And that's kind of how it is. That's kind of how it is with the Lord Jesus. We're not lost. He is, the, he is the one who is revealing to us all that is true. He gives us direction in our lives. So Psalm 43.3 says, send, your, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. And that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's what he's saying. I'm God's truth to guide us. I'm the one who is showing you the way. Here's a third thing I think he might have meant. Jesus means that it is he who brings life to us in the same way that light brings life. life is, light is necessary for life, okay? We can't have life without light. The things on earth do not grow without the light the sun produces. Our biological clocks are set by, by the light. Uh, you know, uh, tr every light triggers things in our brain that causes us to develop and grow. And speaking of Jesus, John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So, so Jesus brings life to us in the same way light did. He gives us eternal, immortal life. 
He gives us life beyond death, life beyond the grave. Jesus resurrects us. And so he is this light that gives life to us. Here's another thing Jesus, that I think Jesus means. He, he destroys darkness. He eradicates it. He actually says this. He, he said it in the verse a minute ago that I read to you, uh, verse 12. He says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, the light uh, of life. And so Jesus eradicates darkness. Now, darkness in the Bible is, is always metaphorically speaking about the opposite of God. It's speaking about blindness. It's speaking about not knowing truth. It's speaking about death. It's speaking about evil. So in John 1.5, when it says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, it's not talking about literal darkness. It's talking about darkness as in not walking with God or, or being contrary to God. Psalm 74 verse 20, the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. What David is saying is, Jesus comes along, or God is saying, Jesus is saying, as the light of the world, I come along and I disperse all that darkness, all that evil. I, I, I come into the places where there's evil and I clean them out. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. He came to scatter the cruelty and, and the wickedness and the evil and the despair of darkness. He came to get rid of it. In 1 John 1.55, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's talking about evil. Here's another thing. Jesus means when he says that he's the light that he brings, and this may be similar to the bringing life, but he brings health and well-being to us even as life, as light does. A single candle in an igloo will raise the temperature in the igloo from freezing to 45 degrees, a single candle. In the Bible, light, warmth, health are, are, often, uh, are often equated with light. So here's Isaiah 60:20. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Ecclesiastes 11.7, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Again, we're metaphorically speaking here, but light in the, in the Old Testament in the Bible is often used of well-being in your life. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I, I, am, I am the one who brings well-being to your life. I'm the one that gives you abundant life. I'm the light of the world. He means that. Here's another thing he means, and this I know he means very clearly in by saying this. He means that there's no other light but himself. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I, he's saying there's no, there's no third light, there's no second light, there's, there's no, I am the light of the world. It is Jesus or darkness, there is no other alternative. What this means is that the whole world needs the light, the whole world needs Jesus. And this is my favorite part. Jesus means that he is the light of every man. I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I'm the light of Israel. I'm the light of Jerusalem. He's saying, I am the light of the world. Israel totally didn't get it. They thought their unconditional election as a nation before God was some sort of election unto unconditional salvation, which it wasn't that at all. Even Israel had to have faith in God, and only those who put their faith in him were pleasing to him. 
And so Israel didn't get it. Jesus comes along and he doesn't say, I am the light to you guys. He says, I'm the light to everyone. But this has been the message of the Old Testament all along. Isaiah 42 verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 49 5, and now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant and to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has, has been my strength. This is Messiah speaking. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. He was Messiah for everyone. You remember when Jesus was born, how Simeon was sent to meet Mary and Joseph? And this is what Simeon said to them. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you can dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Jesus was for both the Jews and the world. Isaiah 9, verse 1 and 2 states, But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In the earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, their light will shine on them. You know, Matthew tells us that light was Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus, when he says, I'm the light of the world, he means, I think, all of those things. And if you walk in me, you'll never walk in darkness again, he says. Now the people who were listening to him that day in the courtyard of the temple, they got it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they got it, and it provoked a response from them. They understood that he was claiming Messiah to be the Savior or the, or, or the King. They understood that. They understood his, his claim was bigger than Israel, and so it evokes this response from them. Look at their response. It's in John 8, 13 and following. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now remember, the Bible clearly says that in the legal court of law, it takes two witnesses to establish something. And so they accuse Jesus of testifying to himself alone. They say, you're just making these claims about yourself by yourself. Now, if you've been here for this whole study, and you remember, I doubt you do, because I don't know that I would have remembered, but, but in John chapter 5, this is the very same charge they brought against Jesus one year earlier, or, or six months earlier when he was there at the Passover. Remember how he heals the man by the pool of, of Siloam? Remember that? They accused him of the same thing. You are testifying about yourself. Jesus, in this particular case, says to them, even if I am testifying about myself, my testimony is true. 
I'm not lying. What I'm saying comes from the Father. But he goes on to say, but I am not testifying about myself. My Father testifies about me as well. Now, if you'll remember from that John chapter 5 passage, Jesus establishes that there are several witnesses to who he is. One of them was John the Baptist. The other, he says, is my works. The things that I do testify to who I am. And the third thing he says is the scripture, or God testifies to me. And I think he was talking, we said this, I think he was talking about his baptism when, when God spoke from heaven. And then the fourth thing he said is the scriptures testify to me. Now, he doesn't repeat that here. He simply says, God God testifies to me. And I think he doesn't repeat it because he says, you, you heard me. You know God testifies to me. And I do want you to note that in the text, he says to them, you know, you don't know where I came from, i.e. heaven. You don't know where I'm going, heaven. You can't go there. You judge from human perspective. You're not able to look beyond just the temporal to see, you know, we all know this. Jesus is God become one of us, a creature. And so Jesus is pointing to his eternal nature. He's pointing, he's pointing them to the fact that he as God has come to be one of us. And he says, you just don't, you just don't get it. So they come back at him in verse 19. They asked him, where is your father? And Jesus replies to them, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. He just got through saying, my father testifies of me. I, I think they had to have understood what he was saying. But they won't humor him. They say, who's your father? It was probably a, a kind of a cut. You know, remember? Jesus may have been accused of being an illegitimate child because of his birth circumstances. They could be trying to imply that. Jesus replies to them right away. You don't know my father because if you knew me, you'd know my father. You don't know. You don't know my father. And uh, he says, you are still walking in darkness. Now, I think it's kind of instructive, if you would, that th this sort of ends. There's, maybe it went on longer, but it's not recorded for us. But it almost seems to just come to a conclusion right here. He says, you don't know my father. If you'd have known me, you'd know my father. And it just seems to die down. says they're not willing to seize him. They're not willing to seize him because they're afraid. They're afraid of what the masses will do. You remember when Jesus is ultimately arrested and, and then crucified, he's arrested in the middle of the night so that the masses don't know. They're not willing to, uh, they're not willing to arrest him at this point and not willing to do anything with him. Once again, Jesus continues on. Then he said to them again, verse 21, I'm going away, you'll look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, He won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the beginning, he replied. I have many things to say and to judge about. But the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. I mean, this exchange is, is something else, isn't it? That he says, I'm going away. Remember, he did this six months earlier. He said, I'm going away. Anybody remember what they said to him then? 
He said he's not going to the dispersion, is he? He's not, he's not leaving here and going out to all the different places where the Jews are. This time, they seem to get that he's talking about death. And, uh, and they say he's not planning on killing himself, is he? And that's when Jesus says, you know, you guys are from here. You, you just do not understand what I'm saying. You are from below. I'm from above. This is your world. This is not my world. I'm not of this world. And then he says, you will die in your sins. And probably this is the clearest time Jesus has ever spoken with regard to faith. And he says, if you do not believe that I am he, if you do not believe that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. If on the appointment you have with death, you die in your sin, then the Bible says you'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. You will be eternally cut off, separated from God in what the Bible uh, pictures as outer darkness. And you know why it's dark? You know why it's outer darkness? Because Jesus is the light of the world, right? And so it'll be where he is not. You will be where he is not. But Jesus came to change that, everyone. Jesus came to change that. He died for your sin so that you don't have to die in your sin. He came to die for your sin so that you don't have to die in your sin. John 8, 27, they did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. In this particular case, I think I misspoke a minute ago. I mean, it says they didn't get it that he was talking about God. They didn't understand he was talking about God as his father in this particular case. It escapes them. Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then Jesus makes this promise to him. Now picture yourself there in the treasury and Jesus is having this confrontation. He looks at them and he says, when you lift me up, then you will know that I am he. And then you will know that I am everything I've said that, uh, that I am. Now what I'd like to do as I conclude this morning is I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to share with you how, this is Palm Sunday. We're in the week Jesus dies. So what I'd like to do, and just for a few minutes, is I'd like to share with you how Jesus fulfills what he says right here. When you lift me up, then you will know that I am he. How did, how did he do that? Did he do that? Did he, did he do what he said? And I said the answer is yes. And here's how he did it. Number one, he fulfills scripture when he dies. Now, now when he says, when you lift me up, he's talking about being crucified, everyone. That's really, really clear. He's talking about the day they're going to lift him up on a stick and they're going to nail him there and he's going to die on that stick, on that cross. And the day they lifted him up, he, he let them know, he let them know that he was, he was the Messiah by fulfilling scripture. Remember he's on the cross probably three hours in and he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, what he's crying out there is the first verse to Psalm 22. 
He quotes Psalm 22, verse 1 on the cross, as if applying it to himself. And, and the reason he did this is very, very obvious. He wants us to read Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, beginning with verse 14, this is what we read. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like cake clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Can you imagine being crucified? That is the picture that we saw of Jesus. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look up and stare at me. They divide my garments amongst themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Psalm 22 is almost a perfect picture of what happened to Jesus when he died on the cross. Jesus said, on the day you lift me up, you will know that I am he, because he was pictured in Psalm 22. But there was more to Jesus proving who he was on that day. Matthew 27, verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. From noon to three it grew dark. There was no light. Here's another way Jesus proved it on the day he died. He removed the light. Now, how did he remove the light? Did, did, you know, I, I don't think necessarily the sun went black. I, I think he covered it somehow with dark clouds. Whatever it was, the land was covered in darkness when Jesus died. And for three hours. And it was such an event that everyone knew this is not normal. This, something special is happening. I imagine they were scared. Can you imagine if for the next three hours somehow God obscures the light of the sun so that we can hardly see anything? It would be a scary time. The third thing that he does to prove that when they lift him up, it is he. An earthquake comes, Matthew 27, verse 50. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entering the holy city and appearing to many. And when the centurion and those with him were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So there's an earthquake. At the very same moment, Jesus dies. But that's not all. With the earthquake came the ripping of the curtain in the temple. There was this very massive curtain that separated two parts of the uh, holy part of the temple, the holy of holies from the holy part. And, and so when Jesus dies... At that very moment, that curtain is ripped in two and the holies of holies is left exposed. I think, and I think all of us who follow Jesus believe this, we believe that God was inviting us all to enter into the holy of holies without a priest, without any, without any kind of other sacrifice. God had made the one and for only sacrifice for all times so that we could enter into the holy of holies anytime we wanted to. And we could do so boldly, not because we're wonderful, but because Jesus is wonderful. And so here's these, here are these, here are these Pharisees and leaders in Judaism, and he says to them six months before he dies, when you lift me up, you will know. And they would know because the temple would be ripped in half, the, the curtain would be ripped in half, and, and, the, and the holy of holies would be exposed. That's not all. 
It says, on that day that Jesus died, there was resurrection. Many godly people were raised back to life. Those who were asleep were raised. Now, now I wonder about this. Did, did, were they raised on that day or were they raised at the time that Jesus rose from the dead. So the tombs were opened, the quakes came, the rocks were split, the tombs were all open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That seems to say that they were raised on the moment Jesus died, right? The, the, the further, if we go a little bit further, it says, and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entering the holy city and appearing to many. So I, you know, I can't imagine them sitting for the next 39 hours, parts of three days in their tombs waiting for that. So I, I think they rose with the death of Jesus. Because I think the death of Jesus was to tell us that resurrection was coming for all of us. That all of us would be raised from the dead one day because Jesus died for us. So I, I, the, can you imagine what it was like to be part of Jerusalem in that day and your loved ones walk back into the city that had been dead? Can you imagine the talk? Can you imagine the, the scuttlebutt that was going around how people who had been dead were now raised and they were raised at the moment Jesus died? At least that's what the text says. Now, whether they waited a while to come into the city, I don't know, but they were raised when Jesus died. So much so, so graphic were these things that the men crucifying Jesus, who were Gentile Roman soldiers, would say, this man truly is the Son of God. I mean, I'm telling you folks, the things pointed to the, in that direction. But then comes the biggest proof of all. It wouldn't come at the moment Jesus died, but it would become because he was raised up. And that would be his own resurrection on Sunday morning. Jesus would rise from the dead and appear to the women, and then to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then after that to more than 500 people. Now what do we do with that? You're the, you're the Jerusalem Jewish higher council. What do you do with what Jesus has just done in his death and resurrection. What do you do with it? You have two choices. You can admit we've killed the Messiah, we've made a mistake, and we were wrong. Or you can continue down the same path that you're on. You know, most people, most people don't believe not because of evidentiary matters. They don't believe because they choose not to believe. They don't believe because... And John says this at the beginning of his letter. You remember this? They don't believe because they prefer the darkness over the light. I think a lot of people avoid learning about Jesus and knowing about Jesus and reading about Jesus because they don't want the light of Jesus to shine on their lives. Matthew 28, verse 11. Now while they were on their way, behold, some of the guards came into the city. This is at the resurrection of Jesus. And reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole Him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win Him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you not believe? We, we don't believe because we prefer the darkness. So when Jesus said they, they would know it, he meant it. And the evidence is profound and deep. 
And at the end of this little exchange, Jesus says, God is with me, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And just a reminder for all of you, can I say this? Just a reminder for all of us, and I remind us often this, Jesus never sinned. Jesus is sinless. He's sinless. And as the sinless son of God, he could be the one who dies in our place. Death is not required of him because death is the wages of sin. But he's not a sinner. And so when he dies, he's dying for Jimmy. He's dying for Anne. He's dying for all of you. So I'm going to conclude. What about us? What's the application of this exchange between Jesus and these men? I've got three. Here's the first one, and it's the most obvious, and that is Jesus wants you to receive him as your Messiah. And I look around, and I know most of you follow Jesus, but if you're here this morning and you do not follow Jesus, do not forfeit your life. God is offering to you eternal life and abundant life now. He's offering you eternal life with your family and friends and with Him. This Creator who loves us and made us, who doesn't forget us and knows us, He is offering you life, and it is yours for receiving if you are willing. So this morning, I make you an offer. Would you receive this Messiah? Would you welcome Him? Would you receive Him into your life? That's the first application. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus wanted from them and us today, for us to receive him and follow him. So I offer him to you today. It's what he'd want me to do. Would you receive him? Would you follow him? The choice is yours. Here's the second application. And, uh, and that is, for those of us that follow Jesus, um, or those of us who say we've put our faith in Jesus, I really want to talk to you about following him and letting him be your guide, about letting him lead your life, letting him be the one who tells you who you are and what you're to be about and, and where joy is found in life. Let him be your guide. Let him be the one who directs your life because he can do it and he can do a really good job of it. I've told this story before. It made such an impact on me. I'll never forget it. But Ann and I are coming home from Beverly's house. For those of you that don't know where I live, I live out in the boonies, and Beverly man lives in the boonies next to us, and there's a path that goes to her house. And Ann and I have been over visiting, Rick and Beverly, and we're walking home, and it's night, and it's dark, and we have a flashlight, but we don't turn it on because we know the path. And then what we forgot, we just had moved out, hadn't been out there very long, so just didn't know the path very well, but there's a stump in the middle of the path, neither one of us remembered it, no light, we're just tromping along, and man, we hit the stump, and we both went down, and it hurt, I got scraped up, how stupid to have a flashlight not turn it on, right? I mean, I'm not sure, maybe I wanted to get romantic on a trip, I don't know. But how stupid is it to, how stupid is it to have a light and not turn it on? How stupid are you when the light of the world is willing to be the light that guides your life and you don't let him? Because you think you can see just fine without him. How stupid is that? I don't mean to call you stupid, but it is stupid. It really, it was stupid what we did. It's stupid what people do today to think that somehow, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. He wants to direct our lives, give us a, Jesus said, I've come into the world that you might have abundance of life, that your life might be filled with abundance. 
I mean, this is, I make no apologies. This is about eternity. Jesus came to give me eternal, immortal life, okay? I will live forever. And you can make fun of me all you want, but I will live forever because God's going to raise me from the dead, never to die again. And by the way, he's going to raise my son too. And I'm going to see my son again. That's, my pro- that's the promise. And, that, and that's really ultimately, Jesus came to give us eternal life. But I want you to hear me. Jesus came to give us abundance of life now. He came, us, he came to give us joy and meaning and purpose. All of those things. Why will you not let him guide you? Why will you not submit to him? Mm. And then the third thing in the text. Oh, this is not in the text, I'm sorry. But, but I think this is nonetheless an application from this text. And that is this. Um, will you let the Lord Jesus reflect his life off of you? In other words, we are to not only let the light of Christ guide us, but we're also to reflect that life of life of other, to others. In, in verse 28, Jesus said, I speak these things as the Father taught me, and then I always do what is pleasing to Him. So I, I think the same thing applies to us. We are to reflect the truth of God to others. And so that Jesus would say to us personally, He would say, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he also says, you are the light of the world. Now, now please don't misunderstand. You are not the source of light like Jesus is. Jesus is like the sun. He's the source of light. He's our creator. He, he, where light comes from is from him, metaphorically speaking. We have no light in ourselves, but we can definitely reflect his light to the world. We, we can be a big, big moon out there. There can be a big moon out there so that the light of Jesus, you know, mirrors, mirrors are glass with, a, with uh, silver painted on the backside of them. And when those light waves uh, reflect off the mirror, they come back exactly the way they are. And that's why we get a mirror image of ourselves because the light's bouncing back and forth from the mirror to us. And we see ourselves like that. We're to be that mirror that reflects the light of Jesus back to the world. Every one of you that follow Jesus is supposed to be a mirror. It's supposed to be a mirror. Let's bow our heads. So, for just a minute or two, let's just pause and uh, ask you to reflect on the three applicational thoughts I gave you. One of them is about receiving Jesus. If you're here this morning and you do not follow Jesus, you know, I mean, you haven't put your faith in Jesus so that you follow Jesus. I, I just, we don't all follow like we ought to, but if you're not following, I just can't imagine that you've put your faith in Him. If you're not following at some level, I want to invite you to receive Jesus this morning. I want to invite you to open your life to him and receive him. He wants to be your creator. He wants, to, he, wants you to, he wants you to love him even as he loves you. And I just I am asking, inviting you to just open your life to him. Receive him. Invite him to come and, and just take his position as Lord in your life. Let him be Lord.
And the second, the second application was the, the guiding issue, right? Some of you say you follow Jesus, but you're still leading your own life. You're still making decisions based on what you think is right rather than based on what God tells you is true and right. You know, our culture is really, you know, it used to line up somewhat with what God said, but our culture doesn't line up with what God says anymore. You have to make a decision. Are you going to go with culture? Or are you going to go with Jesus? Are you going to go with what you think is best? Or are you going to submit yourself to his leadership and let him guide you? And I'm inviting you to make a choice this morning to decide I'm going to let Jesus be the light of my life. I'm going to let him guide me and direct me and, and teach me and show me what's true and what's right and where well-being is found. And Would you be willing this morning to let Jesus be your guide, to let Jesus be Lord? And then finally, would you be willing to let Jesus' light reflect off of you? I mean, all these things are tied together. You know, I can't reflect him unless I, unless I know him. I can't really reflect him unless I follow him and let him be my guide. I can't really reflect him very well. So they're all kind of tied together. I guess what I'm asking you is, would you, would you this morning once again even surrender your life to Jesus and just love him with all your heart? David last night kept telling us, you know, Jesus is worthy for us to love him with all of our heart. He kept saying, pay him back. It's not paying him back, everyone. It's just loving him, loving him with all of your heart. Would you love Jesus today? Would you just tell him? Maybe you need to confess to him that you don't love him like you ought to. Really, you love yourself more than him. Just tell him that. Say, Lord, I don't really want to love, I don't want to love myself more than you. I want to love you most. I want to follow you best. Thank you for being the light that stepped out of heaven, Lord, that came to this earth that you created so that we might know you and might know the truth. Father, as we just sang to you, Lord, may, may we just give our entire life to you. May we worship you with all that's within us, adore you with all that we are. And we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.